4.3. That was the Uber rating of the driver who was on her way to pick me up in Capitol Hill to take me to the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia. I was headed to see Lissy, a singer-songwriter from Rock Island, Illinois. Is there a better city for a musician to be from than Rock Island, Illinois? Lissy left Rock Island a while ago, then left sunny California to live on a farm in Iowa, and now she was performing in Virginia, and if nothing else, as I walked out into the 18 degrees of not even winter yet bullshit, I wanted to know why the hell Lissy would leave the sunshine for the thrills and chills of the northern Midwest. Cooking Vinyl is the very cool and very generous independent record label that Lissy's currently working with, and the fine folks there offered to pay for my Uber. I don't get offers like this often, nor do I often need to accept them. I'm from New York City, I've been walking everywhere since I could walk anywhere. But I've traveled to the Birchmere from downtown Washington, D.C. before. It's no picnic. Public transit would mean an hour-plus commute, including a two-mile walk from the metro. In the cold. So when Cooking Vinyl and my friends at Ray BPR generously offered to pay for a cab, I said yes. No, I, I didn't say yes. I said fuck yes. I said a mother a two ball fuck yes. And so my 4.3 Uber driver coasts over at rush hour in one of the worst traffic cities in the country to take me over state lines. Now, for those unfamiliar with ride sharing, a 4.3 may sound like a great rating, but it isn't. A 4.9 is great, even a 4.8, but a 4.3 is the ride sharing equivalent of a C minus. I feel like we grade up on Uber, so a 4.3 means problematic issues. And you won't know what those issues are until and unless you take the ride. But I didn't cancel the ride, because I think that's been my outlook not just with this podcast, but with my whole worldview since I left New York for DC. You don't know what the issues are unless you take the ride. And that's what this is now, what you're listening to, what you've stumbled into, a twice-monthly exercise in dealing with mishaps and misadventures on the streets and inside the clubs of Washington, D.C. It's school, really. Ron Scalzo's after-school special. So the independent-minded podcast is sometimes stressful, never boring, and that's kind of a metaphor for real life, too. Embracing the disaster in between the calm. And for episode 87, my conversation with the lovely and talented Lissy, that was the calm. This cab ride was the wild card. I knew that as soon as my 4.3 rated Uber driver pulled away from the curb and into the wild. Uber is not a paid sponsor of the Independent Minded Podcast. Some restrictions apply. <laughs> so in a strange way, the ride calmed me. I got to the Birchmere alive and on time. I hung out with Lissy for a half hour. She had a few friends and fans pop in backstage while we're hanging. She had no handlers. It was just Lissy and her acoustic guitar, both on stage and off. So she really was doing it all herself. And those are the people I want to talk to on this podcast. I stuck around after the interview to drink some local spirits and watch Lissy perform. She's got some killer pipes. Her songs are heartfelt. There's a pinch of Stevie Nicks here, a dash of Melissa Etheridge, even a sprinkle of Lana Del Rey, and spoonfuls of passion. Why am I making cooking metaphors? <laughs> because to top it all off, Cooking Vinyl sent me home on their dime after the show. My driver's rating on the return trip, 4.8, and I took Lyft. Lyft is not a paid sponsor of the Independent Money Podcast. See store for details. Lissy and I talk about leaving LA, Lil Orphan Annie, Stairway to Heaven, getting arrested, and bailing hay in Iowa. Let's kick it off with Best Days from Lissy's latest album, Castles, then my conversation with Lissy, right here on Independent Minded. Giddy up! Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. 
bugging their projects, making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the cool shit that they do. Tell you, baby, that I got a problem. You say, honey, hold on, I got it. What you ought to say is you don't know anymore. Everybody's got them. It's a big, bad world, but I, I want more. I'm still trying it on, I think. Yeah, okay. Probably going from New York City, like actually in the city. I've never lived anywhere outside of the tri-state area, New wow. York, New Jersey. So, okay. uh, so the suburbs of Silver Spring are definitely a uh, I'm a foreign land. Well, I'm in Aldi. Is that near? I mean, I'm not there. My boyfriend's like in Aldi. Aldi is that near Silver? I don't Springs? even. I didn't even know that was a place. It's it's, it's an like Aldi, will, but a goodie. Will, will, <laughs> yeah, good one. I'm gonna have to use that. Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> pretend it's mine. Then. All right, you can take it. Yeah. So I understand that you just signed with Cooking Vinyl. Well, yes, I was. Uh, okay. let's, let's get into the business yes. of listening. Okay. So long story short, I was on Sony Columbia Records in the UK from 2007 till 2014. 
Yeah, you've been at this for a while. Yeah, and I got dropped from Sony, which was oh, totally fine. It's a rite of passage, right? Yeah, I put out two records and it was just time. The first one did pretty well, but I also kind of, as I learned to be more of an artist who maybe had a clearer picture of what I did and didn't want to do and like what my goals were, I maybe was like kind of pleased not to be in a major label situation anymore, not because I had any ill will towards anyone. Everyone was great to me, but it was like time for me to sort of step out on my own and sort of redefine what I was trying to do. And so I started basically making my own record. So over the last two albums I've made, I've licensed my music to these different labels. So Cooking Vinyl in Europe put out my last two albums and 30 Tigers in the US. But on this next release, I'm about to do Cooking Vinyl's also going to put it out in the US. Well, I'm not here to show for Cooking Vinyl, but they did pay for my Uber all the way from Capitol Hill to get down here. Oh, shit. We better give them a shout and out. Th- this is, this is the shout out. The first of many shout outs, I'm sure. They just seem to be a, a classy organization overall. So yeah, they definitely like will get their weight behind you and like believe in what you bring to them. Right? Rather than in the past, it seemed like I kind of knew what I was trying to do and then I would have to fight more for it. And I'd have more people saying, well, you should do this instead. And sometimes they were right. But with them, I found and of late as I've kind of developed more kind of I'm my own boss model. It's like when you bring a body of work to a company and they say, we love this. It's great. How can we help you? That's been very refreshing with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you have quality product, this uh, new album, Castles. I hope so. Am I correct in reading that it debuted in the top 10 in the UK? It did. How does that happen? Well, like I said, it's a lot of things because I was signed to Sony 2007. So I had this major deal and I had a big big push, you know, with my first album, Catching a Tiger, went gold in the UK. And then I toured nonstop around the UK for the last almost, you know, eight or nine years. Yeah. So I just through sheer time and effort and coming back to the UK probably twice a year, sometimes more over the years. I'm lucky. I feel like I have like real fans who like, hopefully it seems like they'll stick with me till the end kind of fans, because I think that's just like sort of built up to where I, I had enough of a name. And then also another shout out cooking vinyl to where everyone just worked really hard and when castles came out yeah it was top 10 in the uk and that was felt like a really big accomplishment too because like i said i'd become independent and i don't think that's always the case that an independent artist can do that so you became independent minded yes roll credits <laughs> now little history uh, when i first moved down to dc my first interview was at the birchmere and i walked the two miles from the metro in the heat to interview Dean Dinning from Toad the Wet Sprocket. In the olden days, the artist would come to the radio station and I was the boss. I wear it to the bathroom, here's some coffee. Oh, yes. And okay, now I I'm get like, what you're it's saying. It's guerrilla interviewing. Yeah, but it makes things, I think, feel more. You feel more. Like, yeah. even I have shows like tonight where I come and I play in venues and I don't bring a tour manager and I am solo. It's almost in a way you enjoy it more because you're actually talking to like the people in the venue. You don't really have like a cocoon around you and you're kind of just like enjoying life and like meeting people and you're more relaxed or something like you having to walk those two miles. Like you probably that wasn't en- relaxing. At all. You didn't enjoy that. You found that to be pain <laughs> Not in the an ass? 85% humidity well, in August. But this you, is- <laughs> you would rather sit in the station and have people come to you than get to go oh, on adventures absolute. from time to time. Well, I guess it depends on my mood. I mean, yeah. Tonight, again, thanks to the, the, the lovely people <laughs> cooking vinyl. It was an interesting Uber ride over here. Uh, my Uber driver got a 4.3, which in, in Uber ratings is not a good rating. She was very nice, but not the greatest driver in the world. So, oh. so in a lot of ways, I put my life on the line to come interview okay, you, to, okay. you tonight. So yeah. I let's appreciate just keep that. In that. Mind. You were in California, you mentioned. I want to read this off the bio because it's very flowery. 
Two years ago, Lissy felt the need to break free from an increasingly stultifying Californian existence. With a deep breath and her own destiny in hand, she made the decision to leave that world and buy a massive farm in northeastern Iowa. Now, how massive is massive? I mean, that is quite flowery. I admire like the poeticism of the people who helped me to write, <laughs> write these. I just was like ready for a big change and kind of quickly and impulsively. I mean, I always knew I'd end up back in the Midwest, which is where I'm from. And I... Illinois, right? Uh, I grew up in Rock Island, Illinois, across the river, Mississippi River from Iowa. So I kind of am claiming to be an Iowan, even All though right. I grew up across the river. Hometown girl. But yeah, I grew up in the Quad Cities, it's called. And now I live a few hours north of there in northeastern Iowa. I guess, well, I have like 50 acres. It's actually 47.7. That's but massive. that's pretty, that's pretty big. That's worthy of the massive adjective in yeah. the biography. I mean, in the, in the scheme of things, like farmer farmers, they have like hundreds and hundreds of acres. But I mean, for me, who is a non-farmer and I rent out my tillable acreage, like for one single gal, that's quite a bit of land to try for to sure. figure out what to do with. And but. you're there by yourself? I am, but I, I have like various dealings. Like I rent out my acreage and I have some sort of like bartering things I do. So there's people around. Who's watching the 50 acres while you tour? It really depends. My one neighbor, you know, he does the farming stuff, but right now it's cold. There's not really much to be done. I think there was maybe still some hay stuff happening, but I think that's all <laughs> <laughs> kind of wrapped up. Is that the terminology <laughs> the farmer uses? There's some hay stuff there's happening. There's some hay stuff happening. Um, <laughs> or the moving of hay, not like the cultivating because everything's cold and frozen now. Is isn't it baling, baling of hay? Uh, I guess baling or cultivating. I mean, it's basically alfalfa. You're the farmer. I, I'm from Brooklyn, Yeah, man. I mean, there's baling <laughs> hay, but basically you have alfalfa, which is like grass, and they like roll it up and then it dries, and then you have these bales of hay. All right. Why did you make the move? You were in California. What part of California? Well, I was in Los Angeles five years, and then I lived in Ojai for seven years, which is just a beautiful kind of small town. And I like nature. I like a lot of open yeah. space. I like quiet. I like seeing the stars. I like being barefoot. You know, I love to garden. So coming back to Iowa, like I had enough space that I could have like as big of a garden as I want and a lot of water. You know, I have sure. a well. So I don't, you know, in wow. California, there's not a ton of water and my water bill got high and it wasn't responsible to like have a garden because there's water needed yeah. for other things. Yeah, um, putting out fires. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so and drinking, you know, people need to drink water. People need to drink water. It's um, essential. I just really always had this romantic idea that someday I would buy a farm in Iowa. I always went on Iowa road trips, even like once I'd left the Midwest and swore I'd never return. And it just like never really got out of my system and kind of just felt like some calling or inner force was just like, you need to do this shit, like soon. Now your tour in the East Coast after the end of 2018, are you cold already? Just thinking about it? Well, it's cold where I live. I live up near Minnesota. So All I'm right. from a very oh, cold okay, place. Never mind then. So I can hack it. <laughs> but I mean, you got to dress for the weather. And I spent a lot of time in Norway. And one of the things they say there is there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. So I think when it comes to clothes in winter, you just, if you dress appropriately, it's actually quite nice to be out in the winter. But yeah, I'm going to like Maine and like the end of January. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, because I canceled on them. All right. So, you, so you're punishing I'm, yourself. I'm punishing myself. <laughs> and I just, I haven't been there. So, I want to go, even if it's frigid. I've never been to Maine either. I've heard it's beautiful. As have I. It's on my short list. I love Stephen King. So, I kind of romanticize Maine since 99% of his books are based in Maine. Yes. And he lives there, right? I don't know, but I, I like some of Stephen King's works. The that ones a, I've read, I love. Test. He does. He live is there. from there. And I like The Stand. I've read The Stand. <laughs> That's a my few favorite times. book. It's crazy. You performed as Annie when you were nine years old in the musical version of Annie. 
It's true. I did. Can you give me a few bars of Dumb Dog or Hard Knock Life or, is, or you don't spontaneously Or the sun will come out tomorrow. Well, everybody knows that one. You, well, Dumb Dog. <laughs> that's not in the musical. It's only from the movie. I noticed it wasn't on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. I it's was not. devastated. That was something they wrote for the movie. And Poonjob wasn't in the um, musical either. Only the movie. Poonjob is not in the musical no. version of the movie? <laughs> He's not. There's been some plot holes in the musical. Oh. Now, I had a friend, a female who had a great voice when she was like that age, eight, nine years old. And she was also the title character of Annie. And she would go in front of the assembly and sing all these songs and, and the teachers would kind of fawn all over her. Was that your upbringing? Was that a similar situation? Uh, you know, it was weird. I almost felt like in my town that because I was Annie in this dinner theater production afterwards, it was almost like the attitude at my school was like, what, you think you're so great because you were Annie? And it almost like made my life harder. I was not embraced by any kind of like adult authority figures in any way for my singing ability. It was almost like something that brought unwanted attention into my life. Were they just life. apathetic? I think that they thought I was full of myself and that they were going to make it their mission to like squash my spirit. I got kicked out of high school. I That like was my next failed, thing to talk I about. I failed choir. I was never cast in any of the musicals in school. <laughs> in spite of, well, I was going to ask, you know, that's kind of a pivotal moment for young artists. I mean, really young artists, obviously, to kind of go down the rock and roll route or go down the musical theater route. And obviously we know which one you chose. Was that the reason why? That just people weren't into you doing it? You know, as I look back in hindsight, and I think it was probably like what you said, blessing in disguise. Like a lot of the kids who like peaked in high school, they're not really doing that now, maybe. So maybe that was just what I needed to motivate me to be like, I'll show them, you know, right. which isn't my motivation anymore. I just also kind of like I got mono after my sophomore year of high school and it kind of made me weird. And then I started smoking <laughs> and I like got a nose ring and I just grew away from the theater this world. Is how Annie turned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the theater stuff like kind of got more further. Like I didn't fit in there and then I didn't really fit in anywhere. So I just sort of went hung out and like played my guitar. I listened to not only the last album Castles, but some of the earlier albums. There's definitely a Stevie Nicks vibe going on. And I hope you take that as a compliment. The new album is kind of more atmospheric, kind of reminds me a little bit of Lana Del Rey. Ooh. Who were your inspirations growing up besides Annie? Well, you know, a lot of musicals when I was young and then once I got into high school and started like playing guitar, I mean, it was a great time for um, women in music. It was like Sarah McLaughlin and Sheryl Crow and Fiona Apple and Liz Fair awesome. and Tori Amos. And like, that's when I'm like 14, 15 and I'm wanting to pick up a guitar and write my own songs that these like women who played instruments, wrote their music, could sing their like look was like very not over sexualized or whatever. Yeah. Like all that was happening kind of right in that spot where I was really wanting to write and learn how to play guitar. All right. So you had a bevy of female influences to choose from, basically. Totally. We talked about you being expelled from high school. Do you care to pontificate on that at all? or? Yes, I did get kicked out of high school. It was kind of over a misunderstanding, and I had apologized to the guy I did it to since, but I was made to feel very powerless and voiceless, and I did something bad to a teacher at my school who told me I couldn't sing the national anthem at the basketball game, even though I was told I could. And I showed up to do it. And I was basically told like, you need to be quiet. Like no one said you could sing, like go away. No one cares what you have to say. Like, this is like a punk rock story. Get out of our face. And so I ended up spitting 
in this guy's face. Not because I go around spitting on people. It the was teacher? I snapped. Yeah. I spit in the band director's face. He was like in charge of who got to sing the national anthem. I don't actually usually talk about it because it's like not something I'm proud of because you should never spit on someone. That's yeah. like the most disrespectful thing you could do. But it wasn't really him or even the situation. It was just like I had a lot of like teenage angst at that point. And I felt like people were making me feel like you need to be quiet and go stand over there and like shut up. And it just was like the culmination of all of this stuff that had happened. And I just was like, you know what? F you, F this school. I'm out of here. And I like did that terrible thing, which I'm not proud of, but I got arrested. I got charged with a felony for really? assaulting a public official. Oh, come on, shake it off. I know uh, they said I had to go to jail for like a night and I ended up pleading guilty. So I got a misdemeanor. They said I assaulted a public official, which is a felony. So I like had to basically. So you're a criminal. <laughs> yeah. Well, not anymore. It's not on my record because <laughs> I did a hundred hours of community service. A hundred hours. I set up a recycling program in my dorm at college where I went around to everybody's doors and I collected their recyclables. Wow. And that like counted towards my I, community this, service. I, I did not know it was going to go in this direction. I'm, I'm with a reformed convict. Listen. Yes. No, backstage. I wasn't convicted. That, I was only charged. <laughs> the internet says you're a Scorpio, but you're on the cusp. Do you believe in astrology? Or is um, that nonsense? I do actually. I'm also a Scorpio. You are. When's your birthday? November 9th. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, Scorpio power. We're kind of crazy, but. Um, are we? Oh, well, girl Scorpios are maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Guy Scorpios can be kind of intense and brooding though. Yeah. Okay. I'm the last day of Scorpio. So I'm um, kind of a Sagittarian, I guess. I do think that there's definitely like times in my life where it's like, why is everyone I'm meeting like all born within like two weeks? My first album I made, I swore like every single person I worked with, like their birthdays were in a two week period. And there's been other times in my life where I have seen like certain kind of people that I was gravitating towards where there seemed to be some pattern, which I'm sure some people will roll their eyes at. But for myself, like I've seen examples. You're into yeah. Okay. I see how it could maybe we could be influenced by like the planets for sure. All right. So do I. So do I. Oh, good. You perform with the likes of Snow Patrol. You've opened for Lenny Kravitz. You've opened for AHA or you performed with AHA. I performed with AHA. Yeah. And you've also covered Stairway to Heaven famously on BBC Radio. Is that right? Yes. Is that the greatest rock and roll song of all time? Yeah, I mean, I think they say that you're not supposed to cover Stairway to Heaven. Uh, I covered it in my high school Battle oh, you, of the Bands. Oh, good. Well, I just played how, drums. Did, how did that go? Did we won. Get, awesome. We played Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Can't lose with that. There was a Radio <laughs> 2 thing that was happening and Robert Plant was performing. I think it was like the Great British Songbook and we had to pick a song and my bandmates were like, let's just cover Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. Is that, what is that, Wayne's World where it's like no Stairway to Heaven? I believe No Stairway is from Wayne's World. Yes. Don't yeah. quote me on that. I'd be embarrassed if that was wrong. Yeah. No, I think it's Wayne's World where it's like No Stairway to Heaven. So um, we were like, let's just cover it. And it, it went over so well that we got invited to go perform it like during this like thing at the Roundhouse where Robert Plant was performing. So so it worked out well for us that we covered it. Now, other covers you've done have been by Lady Gaga, Kip Cuddy, Fleetwood Mac. Is there a strategy? Like, how do you vet cover songs? You know, I wish I could say there was. I just, you know, through the years have different songs that have meant a lot to me from many genres. And if I'd get home one night and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to like pick up my guitar and like Google the chords to this and then maybe I'll have to change the key. And I just start trying to mess around and learn songs I liked and started putting them out. And in a lot of cases, you know, people were more into that than my original material. Well, <laughs> but, especially in today's day and age, I feel like cover songs in an internet Google search engine world get you more exposure than your original music a lot of times. 
Yeah, I mean, they're more what we call in the biz, you know, it's like sinkable. They're more... Uh, oh, I never heard that before. Yeah, sink is like when someone's sinkable. like, oh, we're going to put your song in a Gossip Girl episode or something, yeah. you know? That's called a sink. So Oh, sinkable. S-Y-N-C. Yeah. I thought you meant like sinkable, like, a, no. like, like an anvil. No. Not like like you're <laughs> or a mafia guy. <laughs> not like you're, like a drowning sort of sink. <laughs> All right, I got it. Okay, I, then I do know what you're talking. Yeah, about. but no, I think covers are really like a lucrative thing in this day and age when it comes to that sort of stuff. But you know, I love Metallica. I love this Me Lady Gaga song. I love you, you know Kid Cudi. Yeah, nothing else matters. Like probably okay. one of my favorite songs ever. Right on. All right, good for you. So, who knew you were so metal? I'm not. I just really like <laughs> like Metallica. Really the Black Album, because that's what I was listening to in like eighth grade. Another thing I want to talk about that kind of makes us kindred spirits is, and it's a big theme in, in the bio for Castles, the collaborative spirit of your music. Apparently you work with a lot of different artists, and it sounds like you have what's amounted to more of a regular cast of characters supporting you musically yeah. on this last record. I know from my own point of view as a piano player and a singer, it's one thing to just sit there and kind of carve out the skeleton of a song, but it's not till you bring it to other people who are amazing at their craft, whether it's an engineer in a studio or a keyboard player or a drummer, to add their uh, oregano to your sauce, so to speak. Yeah. So how has that been like for you? Is, is that kind of like a necessity for you? I used to write a lot by myself, like before I ever made an album. And I was pretty proud about like, I'm not going to write songs with other people. But I really over kind of almost blind dates of being set up to write songs with people found, like you said, the kind of this cast of characters that I've been working with, you know, for 10 years or so now. So I do kind of have reoccurring people that are a part of what I'm writing. Sometimes it's as much as just being around someone that's encouraging or someone that knows your personality. And it's like, you can say that line better. Like you're being lazy with that line. Like you yeah, could explain you that better nudge. or someone actually who makes you feel more relaxed when you sing. So like, you know, maybe I'll be a perfectionist and think, Oh, I need to sing this a bajillion times. And then certain people like, no, you sound great. You already got it. You know, <laughs> like right just being able to believe them and say like, all right, cool. I got it. You know? So I think it's like about friendships and partnerships where you can feel comfortable. You feel safe. But you also feel like they're not going to put up with your shit to a certain extent. Yeah. They're going to challenge you slightly, but not in a way that you'll like push them away. Like you trust them enough to allow them to like call you on your stuff. I think you got to get to a certain point with other musicians where that comfort level exists. For me, after the hurricane wiped me out, I decided I'm going to travel all over the, the country and then the world. At some point, I went out to Europe, find one person who I know at a studio and that person would kind of cherry pick other musicians for me. Yeah. And it was an interesting experiment. I'd show up in Berlin and here's my drummer and my bass player. And then that dynamic of ball busting and you can do this better and motivation is kind of odd. There's no established relationship between these people and I. So you kind of have to feel them out and vice versa if you want them to play something different or they say, hey, why don't we do this different? The enjoyable part of the experience for me was was kind of having that dynamic, like working off of other people who I'd never met before. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's probably something to that, too, where sometimes I think it's either like being able to be thrown into something with someone you don't know well enough to be able to get away with your crap with either. <laughs> As opposed to like people that you kind of have like an agreement with after you've known each other a long time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, when you're thrown in with new folks, it's definitely like maybe you're kind of on your best behavior too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, like they're my songs and I certainly have some sort of feeling about how I hear them in my brain. So 
yeah, I guess I have. I am on my best behavior because I don't want to be a dick and be like, well, you're not playing that the way I want to hear. Right. You know? Or maybe you're the kind I've just met you. Maybe you are the kind of person that feels comfortable telling people like you're not doing that right. No, but I'm not that. Person. I'm not, I don't. I'll be like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fine. Um, finding like a trusted kind of group of collaborators has been really core to like what I've been able to accomplish, especially since I became independent. I just sort of had my kind of go to people of like, you know, I want to make a record like let's do this and they'd help in some way, shape, or form. And cool. Before we go, I want to talk about your cover of Peace on Earth. It's December as I'm sitting here with you on this lime green couch. It's the holiday season. Do you love Christmas music? I generally don't not like it. I don't like it. That was I, a weird way to say <laughs> you like it. <laughs> I um, No, I do. I, I can like it to an extent. Like I've never been like a massive Christmas person, but it can get me on the right day. It can get me feeling festive. Well, um, what's your motivation for doing the song? I guess because it's not really as clearly like a, a Christmas song. It's a, more of a song that the concept is let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. And I think when I try to think about the holiday season beyond the like consumer side of it and like the eating and the lights and stuff, which is all really fun too is like you know if we reflect on what the season's about it's like you know if you want to see peace on earth you can feel very powerless in these times but in your own kind of sphere of influence you can kind of be the peace you want to see and hope that it ripples out and around the holidays i think it's important to remember like reflect on those deeper kind of themes of like goodwill to men and peace and joy and love and trying to really embody like the message of the holiday which is like one of peace and and goodness for me at least well on that note i shall go in peace thank you lissy i appreciate the time oh you're welcome thank you ron take care let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me let there be peace on earth the peace that was meant to be the earth as our mother Children all are we Walk my sisters and brothers In perfect harmony Let peace on earth prevail Let this be the moment now With every step I take May this be my solemn vow To take each moment and live each moment in peace Eternally oh, Let there be peace on earth And let it begin with me
begin with me Let there be peace on earth And let it begin with me That was Peace on Earth by Lissy earlier in the podcast. We heard Best Days. Find out more. Pick up the music. It's all at Lissy.com. Follow Lissy on social at Lissy Music. And hey, I want to thank Lissy for the great conversation. Ray Rolden at Ray B for putting us together. Cooking Vinyl for getting me there and back in one piece. The fine folks at The Birchmere for letting me roam the hallways. And of course, Cece the Uber driver for the pregame roller coaster ride. Follow it all, baldfreak.com, on social media at baldfreakmusic. And if you or a friend of yours is someone who makes something independently, reach out via email, ron at baldfreak.com, and let's get him on the show. Next time on the podcast, proof that reaching out works. I sit down with Grammy Award-winning Americana singer-songwriter Rebecca Haviland. She's also the wife of a guy who played bass at a show I did last year in New York City. But I'm sure she's better known for the Grammy. I am your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. What's that make us? Absolutely nothing.